Organizations face a new wave of pressure and urgencies to reimagine their operations and value chains to unlock efficiencies and sustainable impact. Listen in as we talk about sustainability trends, deploying EV equipment, and how we're amplifying our impact with care. Welcome back to the Future Focus Terminal Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Fairchild. Today, we're here to talk about sustainability, the race to net zero, and implementing electric vehicles into the operation. I have two of our own con global experts here with me today, Paige Bartine, environmental specialist and asset manager, Brandy Sickler. Welcome, and I'm glad to have you here on the podcast with me today. Thank you, Shauna. Um, as Shauna mentioned, my name is Paige Bartine. I'm the environmental specialist here at Con Global. Um, so with that, I work across our network with multiple different teams to manage the environmental compliance, sustainability, and ESG initiatives. I also spearhead our annual ESG reporting to Gresby, which is the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmarking Assessment, and then I manage and track our environmental KPIs, so measuring water, waste, energy, and our emissions. Thank you, Paige. Brandy, would you like to give us an introduction? Sure. Thanks, Shauna. My name is Brandy Sickler. I'm ConGlobal's Asset Manager. I have over 20 years of experience managing fleets and intermodal assets, including end-to-end -end equipment life cycles. I work with cross-functional teams throughout ConGlobal to assist with obtaining cost-effective options for future fleet needs while ensuring that we maintain operational performance. Recently, I've been spearheading the modernization of ConGlobal's fleet while creating a sustainable replacement program with zero emission EVs. Thank you, Brandy. So I'm gonna start off with what should be a pretty easy one. Paige, do you wanna tell me about how you got into sustainability? Yeah, so I guess growing up, I was always really interested in marine biology and just the planet in general. Um, and that kind of ended up streamlining me into the degree at Texas A&M called environmental geoscience. And there I studied human impact on the environment. So, you know, what, what we're doing and how that's really affecting the planet. Um, and then that led me here to ConGlobal. Awesome, very good. And same question to you, Brandy. The EV program was essentially handed to me when I took over for the equipment manager that retired after 40 years. That was when we first started receiving the EVs and I've grown it from there. Very good, thank you. In 2022, the world's population reached 8 billion people. This milestone really helps us to celebrate human progress, but it also underscores this urgent need. It's that need to address environmental and social and economic challenges that are ahead of us. This can be overwhelming, I know that, but really we have to put our focus into the right place. And what that right place is, is what can be done. We know that we can make an impact. And how do we know that? So. A silver lining, for an example, is during the pandemic, we did make an impact. So global energy-related CO2 emissions were reduced 5% in a relatively short time period. And I really feel like that shows that we made progress and we can continue to make progress. So to that point, Paige, can you give us a quick update on what ConGlobal has done so far? Yeah, definitely. So I would say our sustainability journey really started back in 2017 when we began phasing out the old diesel engines for the new tier four compliant diesel engines that re reduce PM emissions drastically. And that kind of kick-started this interest in EVs and 
from there, we grew our fleet to 35 electric hostlers. We have one site that is completely electric as it relates to the hostlers. Um, that would be in Stockton, California. And we've also added two EV pickups as well. And while we've been on the EV journey, we've also researched, it, researched and implemented initiatives that emphasize energy efficiency, um, emissions reductions, as well as polishing our data collection and reporting on those performance metrics. Absolutely. At the United Nations Change and Biodiversity Conferences, they stress the need for businesses to create action plans to mitigate human influence on climate and nature. So expectations are really for us all to secure sustainable and inclusive future for the next generation. As we look to that future, what sustainability trends are you seeing in the marketplace? Yeah, good question. There's, there's quite a few. I think the main one that comes to mind first is corporate sustainability. Um, over the past few years, we've really seen an explosion of companies embarking on a sustainability journey and a net zero journey, most of them setting targets to reach net zero by 2050. Mm -hmm. um, and these net zero targets include the three categories of emissions. So we've got scope one, two, and three. Scope one and two are pretty easy to quantify. Um, scope one emissions relates to fuel consumption. Um, so purchasing fuel, burning that fuel on site, so diesel, gasoline, mm -hmm. and then the emissions that are associated with that. Scope two talks about or relates to the emissions that result from energy consumption. So purchasing en energy from a utility and then using that to heat and cool buildings and the emissions associated with that. And then we have scope three, which is kind of the monster of the three. Um, it really involves connecting with your value chain, understanding your partners, suppliers, um, stakeholders, all of their emissions. So an example of that would be we purchase tires from mm -hmm. a provider. So the emissions that are involved in the production of the tire and then also that downstream transportation of the tire to our facility. So there's a lot of different pieces that kind of connect that web. To me, I think it's kind of the most important element in a company's net zero journey is it involves collaborating with multiple partners and everyone's working towards that common goal mm -hmm. of reducing emissions. So what are some ways that companies can collaborate and you know how can they really keep those ESG ambitions and agendas resilient? Yeah, definitely comes from keeping a North Star or having a, a vision, a mission, and a soul of a company that aligns with sustainability mm -hmm. um, and kind of having that buy-in you know, from the entire company really can help to ensure that you maintain that path towards a sustainable and equitable future. And I think you know, if we talk about our vision and our mission, our vision being the world's go-to expert in, mm -hmm. in terminal services, and then our mission of taking care of each other, our customers and our business, um, keeps us on that path and still allows us to have some room to adjust. So are there certain questions that leaders and organizations um, ask themselves or, you know, yeah, keep themselves on, on the path? Right, or? yeah, when you're launching a large-scale transition, it's, it's intimidating, it can be overwhelming, I think, some of the main questions leaders struggle with is, are my teams ready for this transition? Um, are the correct elements in place? And then further, how do we define readiness? And also, what are the correct elements? Mm -hmm. And you know, when companies don't stay on that track um, and don't sharpen and reevaluate principles, they can potentially react to crisis, mm -hmm. react instead of being proactive or preventative, um, and t potentially expose themselves to greenwashing. Yep, I've heard about this greenwashing term, but yeah. uh, let's dig into that. What is greenwashing? 
So greenwashing is essentially when a business makes a public environmental commitment and can't keep that promise down the road. Um, so oftentimes it's can relate to the net zero goals. You know, we will have percent emissions reduction by 2030, 2040, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. And then when that comes around, you haven't taken the actions to support that goal, and you ex you know you're then exposed to oh we didn't we didn't match with what we said. Um, and it's pretty serious. Companies have been sued over it. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, though, it is unintentional and just the result of being overzealous and you know wanting to get started on that journey. But the risk highlights the importance of having that North Star and making sure you stay on track. Yep. Okay. So it can be um, unintentional. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to think most of the time it is. Yeah. All right. So I've uh, kept Paige on the uh, hot seat probably long enough. So Brandy, let's uh, go ahead and put you on the hot seat. Can you help us dig into the lessons that you've learned while deploying EVs into our operations? It's still relatively early in the electric fleet transition from a heavy duty standpoint. The passenger vehicle decarbonization is well underway in every mm -hmm. continent. However, the commercial and heavy duty fleets are still learning how to progress forward. Several of the challenges that we've already encountered while deploying EVs into California are planning for the infrastructure, the vehicle financing, impact on fleet operations because mm -hmm. change is hard to overcome, and the maintenance training. There isn't a lot of that out there just yet. Mm -hmm. um, it's coming forward just as quickly as the EV heavy duty equipment is. With all of the challenges that we've encountered so far in the transition, I anticipate there to be many, many more. Um, but collaborating internally and externally with the OEMs is how we are going to continue to obtain and launch and promote transitioning into an EV, which will also support our decarbonization plan. So um, tell me, and I know that the operating team um, has some feelings about the EVs. So can you tell me about some of the ways that the team has, has reacted and what some of the comments are? Absolutely. So we have received a lot of positive feedback from implementing the EVs in Northern California. Anywhere from, I no longer smell like diesel when I go home, my family really enjoys that, to I can hear what's happening around me because the EVs are so quiet, they can actually hear when an outside vendor is coming up behind them. Um, it adds to the safety of doing the implementation and the transition into an electric fleet. Mm -hmm. One of the other impacts, positive impacts, is that it doesn't impact operations as we anticipated. Um, we weren't quite sure if we were going to have to put two EVs in for one diesel, which obviously would have increased the cost of the equipment. However, what we're seeing today is that is not true. Mm -hmm. The EVs are operating very similarly to the diesels outside of, you know, the quiet and the smell and everything else. But yeah, we're getting very positive feedbacks. That's good um, to hear. The mechanics, yeah, the mechanics are enjoying them too because there's less engine work to do on them because mm -hmm. there is no engine. <laughs> they still have to do their preventative maintenance test, you know, every 200 hours and that kind of thing. But yeah. it, it, it's a quicker flip instead of constantly being in shop. So what other things do people need to know about implementing EVs? Like, I mean, again, you are the expert here. You've worked very closely with some of our biggest customers. 
I mean, if people were going to go down this path, what do you think that they need to know? Um, the first one is don't expect this to be a quick turn. Expect longer lead times on everything. If you think that it's going to only take three months, it's not. It's going to take additional time. And that's because of infrastructure. That's because of equipment. Mm -hmm. That's because of training. It's across the board on every single aspect as to why it's a longer lead times for everything to complete that implementation. And do you think that's because um, we're early stages, Randy? And do you think that'll get better over time? I would love to say yes to that question. However, I think with the EVs coming in at a heavier launch rate, mm -hmm. we're going to anticipate grid problems, not strictly in California, but as it continues across the United States, we're going to see electric grid problems across the entire country. So I don't anticipate that there is going to be a decrease in the lead times. A lot of the lead times comes to construction. And we all know that construction can take any, takes longer than we always anticipate, whether it's building a new house or putting wires into the ground. It just, it takes longer. When those wires are already in the ground, it may get a little bit easier, mm -hmm. um, but we, ha we don't have any proof to prove that yet. Okay, some things lot to be yet to be learned, it sounds like. <laughs> I think there's, it's still, we're still in the beginning phases. And as we continue into um, the electrification of the entire United States, we're all going to be learning bits and pieces of how our world today is going to change in the future. And mm -hmm. it will change. There, there's nothing really that we can do to stop it. We're, we're being pushed into EV. We're going to have to accept the fact that every piece of equipment will be EV probably within the next 15 to 20 years. Absolutely. Is our current grid going to be able to handle that? I don't know. And I don't know as all of the new wiring gets laid, if it will change from a timing perspective. All right. So do you have any tips for our listeners when they're thinking about what EV equipment to choose? Number one, listen to your drivers. Your drivers are your on the ground champions and they know exactly what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. Everything is heavy in our fleet. Um, and without their input as to what type of equipment we need to pull in, we we wouldn't know the correct way to handle it. So listen to the drivers. Mm -hmm. um, the collaboration is key, whether it's with the drivers, with the maintenance team, with the OEMs, have communications with them individually, have communications with them together. That will make sure that you have the, enough power on site to complete the operations that you've promised your customer in that timely fashion. With that, definitely go to the OEMs and ask for pilots. We should have done that probably with the first hustlers that we got. Mm -hmm. um, we would have learned a lot. And that manufacturer actually has learned a lot from us as well. Whether it's how much torque the truck or the hustler has or how much battery is needed, how much charging is needed for that. All of that now goes into 
um, consideration as to which piece of equipment is needed. It's no longer the simple concept of, oh, I need 10 tires and a Cummins engine and I'll be good. Yep. It's much more complicated than that. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> even cold weather and warm weather is now a consideration, isn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was just going to bring that up. Your environment that you're putting these pieces of equipment in absolutely determines which piece of equipment you need, whether the intake fan, cooling fans for the batteries is on the bottom or they're on the top um, or they're cooled by liquid. It all matters much more than it ever has in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more pieces that need to be checked off before you go and purchase a piece of equipment. So definitely vet your vendors because they are, they're going to be able to help either help you or hurt you. Yep. Um, obviously you definitely want to go the helping route. One other thing that you should always consider is to pull in whatever incentives you can. Today, California has a lot of financial incentives that can help with the cost of the EVs. Mm -hmm. Today, the EVs are almost twice, if not three times as much as a diesel. So in order for any business that is trying to transition their fleet into an EV, Mm -hmm. absolutely look at the incentives. It will make it much easier financially for you to do it. However, you have to look out for the little tricks. Um, Some of them, you have to own the equipment outright. Some of the equipment um, cannot be financed in any sort of form or fashion. Mm -hmm. One other thing to look for is the opportunities and the incentives that you can stack. Because if you can stack multiple incentives on top of each other, you can get an EV hostler down to the cost, if not below, the cost of a diesel, mm-hmm. which I'm pretty sure any business would be gracious and very accepting of. Absolutely. So there's incentives today in California. Are there any other states that are offering incentives or that are on the horizon that you know of? As the incentives stand today, I believe that California is definitely funding the most. Um, there are other states that are funding. Texas is following right behind California but they're very restrict on the requirements for obtaining that funding. Mm-hmm. I believe that the East Coast is going to be following suit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know much more than that. So I'm going to go back to Paige for a second. Um, are there any other trends on the horizon that you think our listeners should be aware of? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you kind of mentioned biodiversity mm-hmm. earlier. So there has been that increased attention to nature and biodiversity. As I shared earlier, just my background of being interested in the planet, marine biology, um, mm-hmm. this is definitely a, a favorite of mine. And just as I've grown, it's kind of evolved into a deep appreciation for the planet. So I was super excited to see that last year, the UN created the 30 by 30 agreement, mm-hmm. which saw 190 nations committing to protect 30% of the Earth's lands and oceans by 2030. Um, and these discussions created sort of a buzzword or a term called nature positive, mm-hmm. um, which broadly means halting and reversing that biodiversity loss by 2030. I recently read a World Wildlife Fund that was published, a report that was published in 2020, and they said that since 1970, we've experienced about a 68% loss of biodiversity globally. And I think it's important to to put into perspective like how devastating that mm-hmm. loss really is. And some of the great mass extinctions are not too far off from that number. Um, so 
it's really important for this one to be in the spotlight right now, and I'm I'm happy to see that it it is gaining traction. You know, I think as humans we see ourselves sometimes as disconnected from nature, but we're yeah. we're very much a part of everything that happens, and we rely on these ecosystems to flourish, and we we need to take better care of them. Really, so I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and then we've got on the on the equity side, um, there's a lot of talk about promoting sustainable well-being. And I've even kind of heard it referred to as a mental health revolution, mm-hmm. sort of taking its place in the in the corporate workspace as was really important because we've been, you know, getting a lot of feedback about leaders feeling overwhelmed, anxious, mm-hmm. increased stress. Um, and obviously there's a lot going on. You've got the biodiversity loss we just talked about, mm-hmm. economic decline, ecological collapse. So very fair that many leaders are reporting to feel overwhelmed. Um, and I know that kind of sounds like some doom and gloom, but the solution aligns with what I've seen at Con Global, um, taking care, developing and supporting our work streams and collaborating across networks can really help to combat that, you know, mental unrest that we're kind of experiencing. Absolutely. It does feel like, you know, here we're supported and right. uh, yeah. walking in the right direction. Then it makes you feel like you're doing something and uh, it takes a little of the overwhelm off. Definitely does, yeah. And so finally, the, the third trend I'll talk about is technology. Um, Deloitte recently published a list of key characteristics or key shifts that define the characteristics of a sustainability transition. Mm-hmm. And one of the topics I really like talking about moving from enterprise focus to ecosystem focus. Mm-hmm. So enterprise looks like operating in your normal boundaries, um, not, not going out of the box, not really taking risks, while ecosystem focused is more about breaking those traditional boundaries and doing things that you might not have normally done. And I, it resonated with me because of our technology solution mm-hmm. um, of Iro360 and just how that collaboration and um, driving efficiency um, can help that sustainability trend. Yeah, absolutely. So with the Vero360, an example of that in case some of our listeners don't know, but we have gate technology that's automated gate system and it can increase throughput and the speed that you can go through a gate. So for example, if a driver pre-registers, then instead of having to stop at the gate, they can essentially just drive right through. So that can cut down the time in a gate to less than 30 seconds. So you don't have trucks idling at the gate. And also um, with Verispot, you put it on top of a hostler that's working in the normal course of business. And so instead of, for example, having someone else doing inventory and driving a separate pickup truck around the yard and taking inventory, you have Verispot affixed to the top of a hostler that's already doing work in the yard. And so you're not using a separate vehicle that's creating additional emissions. And then we have another podcast about Samsara. And so we're also using Samsara to ensure that we're reducing our idle times. So there's a lot of different things we're doing from a technology perspective so that we, again, can cut down on emissions and make sure that we're taking care of the environment. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great to see. Absolutely. All right. So with that, I think we've exhausted all of my questions, but um, I do have one that I like to finish the podcast with. Uh, It's relatively new, but I like to now ask our listeners, not our listeners, but our guests, um, what does future-focused terminal mean to you? So Paige, would you like to take that first? Yeah, for sure. I think it kind of looks a lot like being ecosystem-focused, you know, taking what you would traditionally do and maybe bending it a little bit. So we're talking about AI, um, mm-hmm. you know, technology, implementing that a lot into our terminals, um, being just 
future oriented on mm -hmm. constantly thinking about the future, what possibilities could happen, um, and then taking those preventative measures in order to mitigate any potential, you know, risks or anything. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, Brandy. Future focused terminal to me means mainly focused on EVs or hybrid equipment doing the same operations that we're doing today. It, whether it's with somebody behind the driver's wheel of that equipment, or if it's a drive-by remote. And if we have to have, you know, fossil fuel vehicles in the yard, definitely would have to be biodiesel or something much more easy on the environment. All the way down to, you know, the offices having LEDs instead of the bulbs. That's what I think tomorrow's intermodal or depot environments are going to look like. Maybe even Jetson style. <laughs> Hover EV hostlers. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not quite that, but you never know. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me today. And thank you listeners. If you want to know more about our sustainability journey, check it out at www.conglobal.com. And with that, until next time, take care.